customers piped up and just said, you know, I just wish you would just tell me what to do. And um, it's the same reason we go to a trainer. It's the same reason we, um, you know, like we just want someone to tell us what to do. And especially in the kind of the crazy world of choice and digital marketing where all this data is flooding in, I just want to know what to do. The Bridge is a podcast for all businesses where the consumer purchase takes place at a physical location. But those same consumers are shopping and narrowing their choices down online. That jump from online to in-store is where most businesses struggle. Each episode, we will focus on real strategies and examples from industry experts on how to dominate this complex and competitive environment by sharing the latest trends in technology and process. Hey, everybody. This is Andy Medley and Fabian Rodriguez. Hello, hello. We are here at The Bridge. We have RJ Tallier this week, which we are super excited about, CA, CEO and founder at Pattern89. How you doing, RJ? Great, great. Thanks for having me. RJ's got an awesome background, and for, for those that are uh, out there in the dealing with the online to the in-store journey, um, he has had a ton of experience at multiple software companies, both big and small, um, working specifically on kind of the customer-facing product stuff. Is that a fair, fair yeah. assumption? Can you tell us a little about your history? Sure. You know, I've, I've worked uh, almost 17 years in tech, and I got my start at Exact Target, where I helped marketers um, figure out how to put their data into email and how to make it more and more relevant. And then about three years into that journey, um, it was uh, 2006, um, seven time frame, um, the, the leadership said, hey, RJ, go figure out this mobile thing, because that was right when the, the iPhone came out. So I was one of those guys that you saw in line um, at the AT&T store on the news who was waiting for the first generation <laughs> iPhone. I was like covering my face. You know, I was like, I don't want to be like this guy. But, um, uh, but I became mobile guy, and I uh, ran a mobile business, uh, sold our first contract, Contract, which was an SMS product, up through push messaging, geofencing, huh. okay. um, Internet of Things, and um, it was a, an awesome ride through all of that. Uh, through the Salesforce acquisition, I was continued to be really active in the Mobile Marketing Association and the location-based mobile uh, location-based marketing association. Yep. And then went to work for a location-based social product for two years before starting Pattern Eighty Nine. So throughout it, it's always been digital marketing. How do we bring product and tech? Um, in a really easy way that marketers can take advantage of their data. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And so Pattern 89, yep. tell us a little bit about that. Sure, we're an AI platform for digital marketers. And what um, Pattern 89 does is gives marketers a to-do list for how to improve their Facebook, Instagram, and Google advertisements. And every day we run our algorithms across billions of data points to figure out what is it that you should do that's statistically significant. And we provide that in a little easy-to-do uh, to-do list. It takes about eight minutes to improve your results, around 21%. So um, we've built up this giant um, uh, data set, our AI, and um, it's been really fun to work with uh, big e-commerce retailers and um, build uh, with, with a team that I've worked with before. Yeah, and I think that's what's what's super fascinating from from the listener's perspective is that a lot of them are competing against the big brands, mm-hmm. right? Or they see themselves competing against the big brands, even though they might be a little bit more local. And I think that's something we can get it, uh, into uh, helping them differentiate and why maybe a local and a national is a little bit different and how you can kind of carve your niche inside of that space. Yes, yeah. Um, real quick for, um, for them, 
when you say takeaways, can you give an example of what, what, what some of the takeaways are that lead to the 21% improvement? Sure. There, there's all sorts of little windows of opportunity that emerge and then disappear almost overnight. And it might be something like in um, to uh, promote a specific product like a couch, let's say, um, that a red couch is performing better than a blue couch with audiences um, of women 18 to 27. And so we'll say, hey, for that audience, change out the, the couch color. Um, or it might be for like a um, um, uh, like in a regional case, like um, pictures um, of uh, your um, uh, if you're offering with fall colors in the background, like yep. fall trees is actually sure. doing better than an ocean. So replace the background. Um, and oftentimes customers have all this imagery; they're just like throwing it out there. They're not sure what's going to work, and they'll quote test it. Yeah. Um, but you know, their test is limited to the, only their data and only their sample. What we do is we use a technique called cluster analysis to find other ads that are very similar to that. Identify what are the components that are driving the performance of another's ads up, and then um, test if it's statistically significant. And then say, "All right, if it is, now you should do it too." Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, that's my brain is spinning right now. <laughs> no, I'm and I'm serious because we just had this huge marketing discussion on the book that we've got coming out. And regionally, there's like all these things that are specific to those regions. Yes. Where I'm just like, oh my gosh, like yeah. that's so powerful. There's, re- you know, it's crazy. Like there are regional differences, um, and what works um, for a national campaign might not work specific for regions or for different age groups. They're really small and big changes. Um, word choice, um, um, sentiment, um, special emojis or special characters, um, all can have giant impacts, and you'd think that they might not. And a lot of times, marketers. Um, either have an A-B testing approach that's too slow to take advantage of some of these or their data is not big enough to take advantage of it. So then you have to plug into a platform like ours um, where AI can detect patterns or outliers that you don't have access to just because you're working on your own marketing set and that can fit in a single Excel spreadsheet. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And it it is what's amazing is the fact that how – targeted social allows you to get oh, so wow. you you know you're talking yes. about the red couch for the 18 to 24 year olds that live in yeah. northern seattle yeah versus the blue that's pretty insane yes yeah and you know it it can feel very very complicated and so um you know I, my my background i have an english degree and I have a master's in English. I'm not a statistician. I'm married to one. My wife is a, a statistical chemist. Okay. Um, so she understands all of these things. And I didn't have, know that was a thing. Well, yeah, me neither before <laughs> I met her. <laughs> but, you know, we're, we're, um, we're making it really easy for marketers to um, take advantage of these opportunities through that. Here's what you do. Here's your to-do list. Um, here are the actions. And here's why. So that's been kind of the fun. Like, how do you bring all that AI and uh, statistical significance to uh, a marketer who's like me? Yeah, no, I I love that, and I think um, that's something we can all think about. And the, the narrowing it down when you think about the application of data that you're receiving, because it can be so overwhelming. If you, act, I, I love the concept of thinking it's a to do list. Yes, it yep. actually makes it a little bit easier. Yes. There's probably some marketing for you, evolution for you to get yes, to that point. Yes, huh? yes, yes. Yeah, no, I lo- I love that. Did yeah. it always start out as like an eight, quote unquote, like eight minute to do list? Like you can accomplish this in eight minutes, or did it start at like all right, we need to to bring this down. It was like half yeah. an hour. Now it we was, get it, it down. We, we created this wonderful data rich dashboard that marketers would look at and say like, 
okay, so now what? And we had all these cool things that were, I mean, like just tons of stuff. And they're like, okay, well, which one will have the best, the highest impact? Which one should I actually do today? And we found that when we would just leave it up to somebody, they would kind of be overwhelmed with the choice. And instead, we made it a prioritized to-do list. And we, we because um, we had a customer, we, had, we do these customer roundtables where we show our customers what we've been building. And then one of the customers piped up and just said, you know, I just wish you would just tell me what to do. And um, it's the same reason we go to a trainer. It's the same reason we, um, you know, like we just want someone to tell us what to do. And especially in the kind of the crazy world of choice and digital marketing where all this data is flooding in, I just want to know what to do. And um, that's been kind of a fun evolution of our product for sure, Fabian. No, that's awesome. Yeah. Totally awesome. Good question there. So uh, if we were backing up a little bit, and, and, and we were talking about this earlier, RJ, that uh, a lot of our customers aren't aren't at that level of sophistication yet, right? They don't have access to that data. They might not be national. It might not be a limited brand, for example, yeah. or Walmart. Sure. Um, but they also have a physical location. Yeah. And they know that they're they know their uh their shoppers or their customers are online first. Um, nobody's I shouldn't say nobody, but most people aren't stopping are starting a brand new shopping process. Um by walking into a store, yeah. uh, they are narrowing their choices down online. And, and a lot of them struggle with the um, – some of them are struggling to see whether or not there is a competitive advantage to actually having a physical location. Right. So I'm curious from your perspective on how you think about that that is an advantage versus a disadvantage and what kind of place it plays in this uh, – this uh, new and brave new world. Sure. You know, I think we're seeing the in-store experience actually being a big differentiator for brands. I've met with a number of these e-commerce retailers who have said that their physical stores are the differentiation. And they've gone in and said, our service professionals, our experts, or our partnerships with manufacturers are changing the game and actually help them beat out some of these bigger players who are e-commerce only. And, you know, everyone, like, I don't, I never would say, oh, I love go to shopping, but like, I'd like to touch and see and um, sit, you know, and like experience. And we all do. And that's going to, you know, there's, there's a reason why physical stores have always been so important. So, um, but the way that physical stores um, are a part of that journey is a lot different. You know, in my world with Pattern 89, customers do a ton of research, before they even talk to one of us, you know, and, uh, you know, before they come and they talk to us, they want all the information up front. And by the time they, they have a conversation with me, they're like, I'm ready to pilot. Let's go. And I'm like, wait, I, but I want to tell you about it. Like, nope, I know. I've already done the research. I've been a G2 crowd. I've downloaded your white papers. I've done all the research. I'm ready to go. And I think that that's the same type of experience with these in-store folks. By the time I've walked into a location, I've already done the research. Um, I've seen your ads. I've clicked on them. I've watched the videos. I've watched the, you know, the people on YouTube who are um, talking about their experiences. I've you know, researched the neighborhood, whatever the case is. Mm -hmm. yeah. And once I show up, I'm a really serious buyer. So what's great about that is I'm like highly qualified, um, but um, I'm coming in with whatever preconceptions. So marrying, um, you know, in my uh, world of the Location-Based Marketing Association, it's all about tying that physical store, that physical experience to the online experience. And I think that, um, you know, digital marketing, um, maybe it doesn't have that direct click-through. I mean, you can do some in-store visit proxy uh, metrics, but you got to think about what are the steps you want them to take before that you want them to see and know that you exist. You want them to click and get on your email list, click to the website, watch some videos. So that way when they come in, they have the information. Well, first off, they're coming to you as opposed to your competitors. And then they have the information. You kind of armed them with the types of questions you want them to ask while you're in store that kind of lead them down the path of conversion. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So I, I think it's it it is the differentiator. Service is the differentiator of that experience in, in store. Yeah, no, and I think that's yeah that's where I was going to go back to. So what I'm hearing you say, and I think that's a big mind shift, um, is around the idea that I'm not getting sold. Mm, yeah. In the physical location, yeah. I'm 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 being serviced, um, yes. and more more importantly, validated because I am at the point where I'm going to have some very specific questions, and I am at the end. Yeah, and you're not you. That service is what causes me to buy, not the fact that you're pitching me on value props around something um, that, 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 hey, look at this, uh, there's a gym here. Right. I already know there's a gym here. Yes. Or look, there's a dog park close. I already know that. I already know there's a dog park close. Yes, yes. Um, but it's more like, am I feeling good about this place? Am I going to get good service here? Yeah. Uh, have you taken the time to know who I am and why I'm here at this point in time and all the research I've done online Yes. Uh, so that I'm not starting over? Yeah. I've heard multiple um, cases of people who live in my neighborhood who bought their house sight unseen. Yeah, it's insane. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I I can't – I mean I guess maybe I could, but um, they've gone on virtual tours. They've done Google Street View up and down the street. (laughs) They've done all their research on Zillow. Um, and then they send a friend to the open house um, with – Oh, because they're moving moving from out of town. moving from out of town. Uh, They FaceTime you through the, the house. You know, like what, what what happened to an open house where they marched a hundred people through and then they come up with a five? Pe- you know, like yeah. it's it's a it's similar. You yeah. know, but uh, it's very kind of- similar. Yes, and that's actually happening a ton. Yeah, in the multifamily space where a, a big percent of their leasees, you know, are out of towners that are yes. coming in town yes. and they're doing all their on their research online. They're picking up the phone and calling you. Yes, um, and saying, "Hey, I got a couple questions real quick. I saw that, or is this true, or yes. is this anywhere?" Yeah, um, and uh, and then they ask for the application to be sent if it's not online. Right. Yeah. 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 Totally, totally different world. But that's the scary part about that is the fact that it's, it feels like you're out of control. And I think that from a, from a business's perspective that is used to owning the entire experience, once they walk in the door and they think about when you ask for the, Hey, would you like a LaCroix? Yeah. Um, And uh, what's the first thing I'm prepping the salesperson that they need to ask to get the person comfortable. That is now, that is now feels like a loss of control, and the reality is it's about accepting that. Yes, yeah. I mean, effectively, you have lost, you know, lost that um, controlling the whole narrative um, because they've done all that research up front. Um, but you know, the the kind of the clever thing is that you can actually impose some control by making sure that you're mapping those touch points to their journey, um, and that you're you know doing advisory boards or customer feedback, like how did you make this decision, and then aligning those. Uh, you know, videos or resources or whatever the case is so that they can get the information that they want at the pace that they do. And then when they walk in your store, you know, that that, uh, uh, that service-based experience kicks in. Yeah, absolutely. And we talk a lot about the fact that um, your website is your best salesperson and your website is your physical presence. It just happens to be very digital. And if you think about it from that perspective, uh, the ability to allow the consumer to ask the same questions on the site, to engage Mm -hmm. meaningfully, um, beyond uh, what is typically taking place today puts you in a massive um, advantage to the competitors yeah. uh, that may not have been decided to jump to the fact that they think about their online experience that way. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of, one of the proxies um, that we struggle a little bit with is uh, predictability. Um, you know, it used to be that um, so many um, in, in software space, so many email signups meant so many white paper downloads meant so many demos meant so many whatever. And we've had to change our metrics at Pattern 89 to understand, mm-hmm. like, you know, what are the proxies that we use to understand is more 
uh, um, more qualified pilots going to be coming in the door. And now we understand that. But for like six months, we're like, wait, this this is all changed. And that's just really in the last three or four years. So I can't imagine how these physical stores or physical places are trying to also retool all of the things that were, quote, best practices um, that, you know, um, everybody, you know, like does a lot of research before they walk in the door. So, um, and that's why service is so, so, so critical that, you know, that first experience yeah. when you walk in. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I was, I was actually thinking about the fact that when you look at some of the big brands, I mean, the fact that Amazon, um, bought Whole Foods is a great example yeah. of the importance of, of, of a physical location. And, and, and as me, as somebody that maybe always had a physical location as an example, and then I'm starting online versus verse, vice versa, um, I have a great opportunity to understand what Whole Foods is doing mm-hmm. differently yeah. that maybe I need to adjust my physical location to that um, is what kind of the, the big players in the, in the e-commerce are seeing as the advantage of that physical location. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, um, I went to New York uh, maybe three weeks ago, and it's funny because you go down the streets in New York and you see all these formerly online brands. They have all their physical locations, yeah. You know, and they're doing these pop-ups and um, uh, or physical locations. Like, oh, I thought that was just an online store, but they're actually finding that um, you know they want to have a, a physical location for all the reasons that we have physical locations. So it's uh, you know we we hear all these um, stories and news stories about the retail uh, stores closing or those types of things. I mean, that's the headline. But um, if you contrast that with the new crop of um, folks, you can see that there's actually a still a real benefit to um, that, you know, in-store experience or the, 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 the physical presence. Yeah. And we, we, I mean, we kind of, we're, we're talking about some of these examples and what comes to mind, it was so weird, like going to like a Bonobos or yeah. Warby Parker right. or, yes. or um, what was the other one that we talked about? Uh, Untuck It. Yeah, right. Right. So you go to You were on the same street that I was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you just go there and I was like, I would like to buy that shirt. Yes. And like, oh, well, I mean, you, you can't buy the shirt. Yeah. yeah, but you can go in there and touch it, which is great. Yeah. Um, but it's it's just like this weird yes. uh, thing where they, they have the location, yes. but then you still end up doing it online. Well, so. showrooming used to be a bad word, you know. Um, that that term in retail space was. Are you familiar with that term, Uh-oh, showrooming? No. Oh. Well, so like in location in location based marketing, they would say that um, you if you're looking for like a phone or a computer that you would like go to Best Buy. And you would just like walk around the showroom, ask the tech or the person in the blue shirt, like, hey, can you walk me through this, whatever, whatever, walk out and buy it from Amazon. And so it was then, uh, you know, Best Buy was becoming a showroom, um, yeah. and, you know, where, uh, where you wouldn't actually purchase it. But now showrooming is actually a strategic advantage because um, they have such a wonderful experience um, buying through Best Buy or an Untucket or Warby or whatever the case is and everyone's comfortable with the shipping back and forth now that um they can actually use that as a part of their whole customer journey and they'll they've been embracing retailer uh, brands that have been embracing um the showrooming effect and they want you to come in store. Right. They want you to come and feel and touch and feel the experience. Um and then they know that they're not going to convert you. Because there used to be this war between um the who gets credit for the sale, the e commerce team or the physical retail team, and those teams used to battle it out about who got credit for it because the sales in-store were going down and the e-commerce was going Mm. up. But now they've unified a lot of these um, marketers have unified teams. And so there isn't the competition anymore. It's like, okay, how's business? And people buy in whatever way they're going to buy. They might buy on their phone in the location, (laughs) um, and that counts towards our overall goal versus competing one versus the other. Yeah. So it's, it's, I think... 
companies have adapted um, to some of the trends that um, you know that whole showrooming term used to be a literally a bad word. And, yeah, that's and, interesting. And I didn't. I didn't when you said that, I, and that, but now I know what you're talking about. And, yeah. and, and Best Buy is actually a fascinating case study of a turnaround. Yes, it's just awesome. Yes, it's just awesome. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like you used to go in there to buy everything, and then you would wouldn't and then now now it's where i go you know yeah so it's it's, it's weird how that happened yes yeah uh <laughs> so i know that when we talk we talked a little bit about marketing data and, and really that's a lot of what you guys are, are providing in your in the form of a to-do list but um for mainly big brands right and 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 that's that's based on the assumption uh so i'm putting you on the spot a little bit here but that's based on the assumption they kind of had the have the um the basics of yeah. marketing uh, digital marketing sure. data done. Mm-hmm. When you think about the basics, uh, as me as a as a somebody starting or have just started to dip my toes and I'm starting to put more of my budget that may have been a traditional to now online. How do you how do you think about basics or what are some of the some of the key things that I should definitely know when I start to when I start to measure myself from a marketing data perspective? Well, it starts with the customer, of course, and everybody. I think a lot of people skip over that to tactics, but it starts with the customer and then creating some personas around that customer. Who are you actually targeting? Who are our three to five key personas? Start there and then find a whiteboard and do the customer journey, which is so overplayed right now. But like it's talk about basics. Walk me through this persona's day or their their journey with us. Um, What do they do that's outside of a purchase with you? Uh, or an experience with you. Where are they? What are they doing? What do they like? Those yeah. types of things. Um, and then find the data. Um, uh, and it doesn't have to be complicated. I think we make these projects really, really big. Like find the data that supports that customer journey and then figure out um, where you're writing or not writing, like that whiteboard, validate it. Um, and then figure out uh, then the tactics to influence that journey. Yeah. You know? So I think like that's when it just boils down to who are you marketing to? What do they do in a typical day that does or doesn't include um, uh, you or your products um, or the thing that you're trying to sell? And then wh- what, what's the fastest way that you can understand that from a data perspective? And um, I, I personally am really impatient, and I think that's a, my, one of my best and worst qualities. Um, but, like, I, I don't have a whole lot of patience for, like, weeks-long data analysis projects that tell me what I actually inherently know. And I would imagine that um, a lot of marketers or companies pretty much instinctively know. Yeah. You know, there's uh-huh. not like a whole lot of surprises in that. So, yeah. Um, how do you get a sketch of the data um, that will then direct um, and then validate it? You know, get, find that sketch and then validate it with some data points and, um, and and then go from there. So, like those are the the, the basics. I think that um, that even mo- the most sophisticated marketers um, skip. Yeah. Yeah, I think they do um, for for all sorts of reasons, which are valid. Yeah, um, but uh, that's where I would start whiteboard. No, yeah, that 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 is that is awesome. And then as you start to understand that, I, I mean, I, I'm trying to think about jump in here, uh, Fabian. But if we were taking that advice and saying, okay, so I am a I'm a big regional furniture store, and I I'm going to start with a persona of a um, female, forty to fifty year old. Uh, and maybe some of that data is simply asking um, somebody in that persona, sure. as dumb as this sounds, after they buy, if I've got a good rapport with them, 
How'd you hear about us? Yeah, sure. And oh, then yeah. and did you search online? Yeah. And then how'd you find us online? Yep. And then once you got online, what'd you do? Yep. And did you already know this when you came in? Yes. Yeah, I mean, that, it's like basic stuff like that is yes. like so insightful that we feel like it's too basic for us to learn anything, but it's actually, you can draw some significant insights from that. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and then um, going from that persona to understand what are the three to five products that um, would be complimentary purchases or... Uh, what's their time frame for those purchases, that type of stuff. So you can start building the um, journey from the time that they bought that first purchase into a lot of lifetime. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, on the creative side, what I find is, um, mean, like on the creative side, meaning um, when we figure out what actually to show that um, mm-hmm. that woman who's um, into, you know, to buy a couch or whatever, um, so much of it is opinion. I think that people like sectionals. I think that... Blue is today's color, that type of stuff. And that's where you can find, um, if you start digging into some of the data around that, you can find like, whoa, whoa, actually blue was two years ago. And now it's turquoise or whatever the case, you know, whatever the case is. It was three years ago. <laughs> it's and so three years ago. RJ, do you find that sometimes your clients, when you're telling them these things, that they battle against the data? 100%. Yeah, we are. We as humans, we uh, suffer from confirmation bias in you know all sorts of different things. And if you've been thinking it's blue, it's blue, it's blue, no amount of data is going to tell you it's turquoise because you're the marketer, you're the CEO, you're the owner, whatever the case is, and you know that blue in your heart. So that's that's a, a one of the challenges of data science and AI in general is it's going to present uh, patterns or outliers that challenge your assumptions, and then you've got to figure out whether you're going to test that or ignore it or go with it, you know, and that's kind of risky. Gotcha. And and do you have like real examples that, that you can share with us from some of your clients that were actually putting this data to use, like the things that you help them gather and say, hey, this is the path. And then, you know, uh, upon using that, that was the result, right? Sure, sure, sure. There's um, all, like all sorts of them. We've got a bunch of case studies on our website. Um, one of the most recent um, uh, case studies was with a brand called Newton Baby. Um, and Newton Baby sells um, mattresses and um, you know uh, supplies for babies. Um, uh, baby mattresses are their their specific. Um, and we give them um, uh, a to do list that includes audience targeting um, to creative changes to um, placements to. Um, uh, when you uh, say placements, you mean oh, um, keywords ad, ad, or sorry, um, ad placements? Yep. So should we? Um, uh, put this on Instagram stories, or should we put this in the news feed? Should we, um, you know, etc. It's like all sorts of different um, things. And because they um, took the uh, alerts and put them to, to place, they saw a fifteen percent lift in the first two weeks of us using or of them using Pattern eighty nine. So that case study is on our website. It's it's fascinating because there's all sorts of these opportunities um, that appear and then disappear on a daily or or weekly basis that can be overwhelming when you think about all the possibilities, but if you're following just a quick to-do list um, that takes eight minutes a day, um, uh, and that's in an optimization as uh, your, you know, part of your to-do list, like you check your email, you optimize your ads, you go to a meeting, whatever, you know, you eat lunch, you know, that's just part of your routine. And that's, you know, increasing your lift or lifting your results 15%. Yeah, it's a great example. I would do that. I would make it part of my day for a 15% increase. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that, I think that's, it, it, one percent is usually worth it mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're doing one a day, but fifteen would be uh, would be pretty nice. We talk about attribution a lot, yeah. And one of the things that we work hard on is uh, being able to tie the online activity and engagement to an in-store purchase. Yes. 
And there's no real easy way to do that. Ooh, yeah. Um, but sometimes it is uh, just a lot of data and mashing it together and saying, um, here's the people that came to your website, and then here's the people that came online. How, yeah. how do you think about attribution? Well, um, it, it, attribution is, is, is just a giant challenge, period. And uh, especially if you're trying to match online and in-store, it's like the holy grail for that connection. The challenge is actually the consumer. If that buyer would just walk into the store and tell you their first and last name, their email address, and their phone number, and then we could match it to the cookie um, that they use to search, we'd be in great shape. And a lot of solutions and brands have tried to do that through like human intercepts with an iPad or using a geofence. So once they cross the geofence to enter the location, um, the app ID matches the cookie ID, et cetera. But there's all sorts of disconnects, of course, because you don't have the app on your phone anymore or you deleted your cookies or um, Safari just updated their, um, you know, privacy setting or whatever the case is. So um, I think uh, um, there is a holy grail out there that I think is out there. Instead, I think we need to, again, go back to basics and understand some proxy metrics and while pursuing the larger goal of attribution, like of a clean, clean, clean attribution, mm-hmm. instead understand basics directionally. Um, did we get more foot traffic today? Um, how many bodies walked in the store? And what are the other things that we're doing? And then can we link a purchase? Once the purchase is complete, can we link that email address? Or once the email sign up or um, you know, like find those ties to it. And I think so many whiteboard sessions in, you know, meetings, et cetera, are spent on how we can create this unfriendly consumer experience that would help the brand or the marketer understand better. Yeah. Um, uh, the consumer just won't adopt um, because they don't download your app, turn location on, accept push notifications, and put in their phone number. And you know what I mean? Like, yeah. There is a way to get there, um, but it's so unfriendly. But if you pick up the, 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 the little crumbs along the way um, through the journey, which is I've created enough value for, for uh, uh, as a brand, I've created enough value for you to give me your email address. And I've created enough value for you to subscribe to our YouTube channel. I've created enough value for you to come into our workshop that we have in um, in the store, um, and then sign up for more information and create a relationship with our associates, or come into the um, physical space and take a tour. I mean, all these things um, uh, are th- this the hard way, right? It's it is the hard way, but it's the pieces that we can connect. And uh, as marketers, we want it to be easier if those damn consumers would just do what we told them to do but like consumers we have to we can't alter their behavior instead we have to work alongside it um in addition we've got um kind of privacy front and center in the public space and everyone is you know today there's um, headlines that range from you know deleting all of your data on facebook to facial recognition to location data i mean all of these things which are fighting against anything, any story that the marketer is trying to put together. So it creates even a larger challenge for marketers who then have these giant campaign strategy integration projects that just get thrown out the window when something goes away. Yeah. So, um, I actually, Andy, I like your question. Like we were like, let's talk about the basics because I think the basics can help us answer a lot of these questions. Yeah. If we just did those and then, add on top of it. And I think sometimes we want to go to the cool new 
sophisticated something or other. As opposed to skipping it. Yeah, because it yeah. feels like it's the magic bullet or silver bullet. Or, yeah, absolutely. You know, so. we, and we talk a lot about here, um, it's, it's almost there's a, the crowd of your consumers, we see them joining in two different places. Mm. The first crowd, uh, the first time they come is kind of the website. Yeah. Right? And if you can figure out a way to, to know who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and then ideally a subset of that crowd shows up at your store and they purchase. Mm-hmm. So those two points of data, um, assuming you're doing a good job of, of finding out who that anonymous website visitor is and turning that into a known and market yep. consumer. Yep. Um, and then if they purchase, that's going to be in your CRM or your POS yes, or whatever. Yes. Uh, and you just match those two. Yep. And that, 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 now that's, that's hard. Uh, you have to have enough of, of both yes. for it to matter. Yep. Um, ideally, you already have sales taking place on store, but you have to have enough in-market consumer data. Yep. You have to have enough conversions taking on your site for it to be remotely statistically relevant. But at that point in time, now all of a sudden I can look at some basics. Mm-hmm. And if you're saying, okay, well, here's where most of my traffic is coming from in, in Google Analytics, and I understand that uh, you know Facebook is better than Instagram, is better than paid search, is yep. better than you yeah. know, display, whatever – uh, you at least can start to look at the big buckets. Yes. And um, more to your point, I think I'm, I'm, I'm not only agreeing, but I'm kind of reiterating what you're saying. Don't worry so much about saying that at the foundational level, I need to know that uh, 6% of my digital advertising spend should be um, from 20 to 24-year-olds yeah. in, you know, in northwest Seattle um, on Tuesday at f- between 4 and 8. Like, uh-uh. Yeah. You just need to know that maybe 20% should be on Facebook. Right, 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 right. Start there. Yes. And then you can figure out how to dissect a better a better spend of that 20%. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. you got to just uh, start and then iterate. Yeah. That's – you know, it, it's – it's the long road. <laughs> yes. Yeah, <laughs> but it's, yeah. If you want to get there, you yeah. at least have to start somewhere. And I yeah. think that's the other thing is you'll get into those uh, philosophical arguments about what type of attribution model to use. Oh, yeah. And those are – I'm yep. like, how about pick one? Yes. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then we can figure out what's wrong with that one yes. Yes. if you're actually doing it very well. <laughs> and then we can go to the next one and see if it tells you something different. Yes. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Well, listen, we're gonna we got a couple questions for you to get out of here on. Um, any else before we jump into that, Fabian? I'm missing, bud. Yeah, and I mean, two real quick things. One, I, I want to know what you consider to be your competitive advantage, right? Like going back to the basics, seems like that would not be it. But as we're talking, it seems like it very much could be. Yes. Yeah. Well, um, I, I think at Pattern eighty nine, our competitive advantage is that um, it's s- super easy to use. And we get really excited about artificial intelligence and how we've got billions in revenue and we're running 2,900 different algorithms every 24 hours. But, you know, like, but really what the marketer cares about is what do I do? And we've made it really, really simple for our customers to take advantage of it. So it's, um, I think, our UX and our UI on top of all of that data, but really it's the way we present the information to a customer. And for people who aren't using data to make marketing decisions, how big of a mistake is that today? Uh, you got to stop listening to this podcast and go 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 start <laughs> <laughs> right now. Um, no, it's a, I think I think it's um, you know um, we've we've got a um, we we have all of this data. I mean, we have it at our fingertips, and we can make so much uh, so many better decisions about um, everything. So yeah, it's it's the mistake. Got it. Awesome. How do you keep yourself educated? I like uh, to read. 
Um, and um, the written word or the uh, ver- or the spoken? <laughs> no, no, I, I, so I, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm a. About three summers ago, I started taking the bus to work, and in Indianapolis, not a lot of people take the bus, but yeah. I, I take the bus, and so that's my reading time. And um, so I like to read, and I like to read things that aren't really related to business, just to kind of like let your brain whatever. I just read this awesome book called Say Nothing. That's all about the IRA, Irish Republican Army. Oh, wow. It is an awesome book. All right, I'm writing it down. And then over the weekend, I read a book um, uh, by Roxanne Gay that's called Hunger, which is her memoir about her body and struggles with that. Um, And then I just started this book on Richard Nixon. And, like, you know, I I don't know anything about these topics. But it's like I love to read nonfiction and – you can learn so much about all sorts of things from that, but um, I, you know, I love to read. Yeah. Um, what are you currently obsessed with? Mm. Well, uh, so I have four kids, and my two, two things I'm currently obsessed with, one is our garden. Um, gardening is a fun thing to do. My four kids are seven and under. It's a fun thing to do with kids because we just get messy, and like that's fun. So we've got um, – and my wife's family has a greenhouse, so they've – Oh, legit. Yeah. I mean, from seed, like tons of stuff. So we got all these plants and they're all great and healthy. And so we, um, so I'm obsessed with the garden and figuring out like are cool. things coming up or not. And then um, bird watching is another thing that I'm into, which is, which is funny because I've got all these bird feeders around, but like my kids love falcons and um, hawks, any birds of prey. And so... Um, <laughs> If I get somebody talking about bird watching, I'm like, let's, okay, tell me about what bird you've seen. <laughs> and it's pretty ridiculous, but like in the last two or three years, I've gotten, I've like read bird watching books and like have a poster that we try to identify the birds outside the window at the bird feeder. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it, fun. It is awesome. We, yeah. I've, got, I've got something for you after this. Okay. That. Yeah. <laughs> uh, least favorite activity? My least favorite activity is traffic, sitting in traffic. Okay. It drives me crazy. Yes. I hate driving. In traffic, you and Elon Musk. Oh, oh, does he? <laughs> that's his whole. Mi- I mean, obviously, Should that's I not his, a, a portion of his mission. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, he just thinks yeah. you shouldn't be driving. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If yeah. you're just sitting and you're reading, yes. then it doesn't feel like. Yes. Yeah, I'm, which I am down with not yeah. driving. I feel I like I've like took control of like I feel like I have this extra hour of my life by taking the bus. It's I'm like haha, I, I did it you <laughs> totally. Know? Um, but yeah, I, and I get really frustrated. And like I we live here in Indy, which is a wonderful place to live with like such little traffic, but any amount of traffic, I'm like I could be doing something else yeah, with my yeah. time. I could be you know, and then people get all frustrated and road ragey and that type of stuff, and it. I don't know. I just I told so I told my wife that if there was a measure of like gross happiness index, if autonomous vehicles and I know that's also like a religious war is yes, when you talk about yes, that, but yes. let's assume that it actually happened. Yeah. That I think the gross happiness index of us as people yeah. would skyrocket because we wouldn't get behind the car or we yes. wouldn't we wouldn't be in charge of driving the vehicle. Yes. yes. We'd feel we get home feel a hell of a lot better. <laughs> I, th- I think you're right. I think you're right. I, I certainly do on the days that I don't drive. So I, I'm I'm jealous of your ability to take a bus. We yeah. don't work downtown. Yeah. Um, the best answer we've heard so far. I like the traffic one is waiting. She just said waiting. Yeah. Yes, that's a good one. Yeah. I'm like I, that's true. Waiting is a is a challenge. Yes. Well, listen, man. Um, this has been incredibly insightful, and good. we are lucky to have had you on the on the podcast. Thank you so much. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, I'm glad to be a part of it. Excited to um, listen to all the other episodes. Awesome. All right, take care, RJ. Thank you.